I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. It is trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense.
Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode, we're going to be a little bit Star Wars focused. But before uh, we get into that, and of course, if you didn't know it was Star Wars focused, uh, you heard the two trailers that we played at the beginning of the show being uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and The Mandalorian streaming on Disney+. Plus. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about the Disney Plus streaming service before we move into uh, talking about The Mandalorian and Fallen Order, um, we're going to talk a little bit about how what we think of the user interface, the content, um, and how it is kind of at, at a start for a streaming service. So as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Pat. Pat, how's it going? Oh, you know, another day, still here. <laughs> and another day, we're stuck looking at our TVs even more now uh, with more content than I think any human could possibly consume. There was a, a time, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but there was a time where I, I thought I would have the ability to try to watch almost every movie that was ever made. And of course, that's, as I get older, and the more stuff that comes out, it's like, yeah, that's never going to happen. No one can possibly do that. Physically impossible. It'd be like trying to travel to every planet in... Um, no Man's Sky. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact that that game's still around still blows my mind. I think uh, Outer Worlds did that better. But um, so, why don't you go ahead and give me kind of your first impressions of, of Disney Plus, and then I, I'll, I'll talk about my end of the thing. So, I'd I'd like to start off by saying that I personally have not had any of the issues that people have been saying Same that here. they've had with it. Um, I haven't had problems with actually streaming anything. The downloads have all worked for me, and my account has yet to be hacked and information spilled out into the internet. Although, (laughs) I mean, it's probably already out there in the first place. Right. Uh, (laughs) But I think that they have also done a great job with um, the pricing of it in a sense that being able to bundle it with Hulu and being able to bundle it with ES- ESPN Plus also gives you a little bit of leeway to where you're not paying for three separate services for an outrageous amount. You bundle them all together, you get them for, I think it's 13 a month. Yeah, something like that. Not bad at all. And then I, what is it for Disney Plus? So, like seven? Uh, so Disney Plus by itself is uh, six ninety nine a month, and I think the annual is about seventy four. I think that's what it showed when it actually charged my account seventy four for the annual, which is uh, actually about in line with what the DC streaming service is. Uh, so I mean, it's it's not anything too outrageous. And you mentioned the bundle. You know, uh, I was going to bundle it with my Hulu, but it ended up being a little bit just kind of too difficult to try to figure out. Like I know there are how to guides to do it and stuff, but I figured, um, you know, if I'm paying for it annually for Disney plus, uh, I like kind of having the Disney plus separate from my Hulu account. Um, and the fact that like primarily, uh, with most of my streaming services, I have profiles given out to family and, and close friends, uh, uh, as allotted. And, um, I like kind of having this to myself. Now, I agree. I, I have not had any of the uh, streaming issues that people have had. I've not had anything talking about, you know, my my information getting out there. 
Um, the only problem that I faced on launch day, and it wasn't really a big issue because I was at work anyway, so it wasn't like I was going to be watching any content, but I was trying to add things to my watch list. And uh, when I was trying to get to like the X-Men cartoons or any of the Marvel cartoons from the 90s, uh, I would get that unable to load. But then through other means, I was able to get around to it. But I really haven't faced any of those uh, of those issues. I know I saw someone post a video up on Twitter where and it was kind of funny there. They were watching The Mandalorian and it glitched. And it was uh, a sequence where he's kind of looking over on the uh, on this little outpost that his uh, targets at and his hand is coming down uh, from like down below. And then it just kind of did a weird repeat where it was just like showing the hand going up and down. Uh, So, you know, your dirty mind can take that wherever you will. So it was just kind of funny that they weren't really complaining about it, but that was uh, the only issue I saw from someone that they posted online. But personally, I've not had any, any problems. He, he was reloading the gun, of course. Of course. Well, <laughs> see, that doesn't help that any any better there, uh, if you think no, about not it. No, not at all, especially because <laughs> they're laser guns. <laughs> <laughs> but he does have a reloadable gun. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about the user interface a, a little bit. Uh, what what are your thoughts on, on the UI? I think that one thing that can be definitely improved is being able like I think the organization could be better. Uh, finding material uh, that you want to watch can be a little bit uh, difficult. Like, for example, uh, don't judge me for this, but I went back and I was starting to watch the original DuckTales. Hey, uh, there's nothing. I, there's no judgment because I, I haven't even told you what's on my watch list. So. so I was going back and watching some DuckTales and it brought it would only bring up the newer version, I think, oh, okay. which I didn't even know there was a newer version. Yeah. Um, uh, circa 2017, I guess is when they brought it back. Uh, but I think that they could improve their searching and the organization on the main screens a little bit better. Maybe like have, uh, kind of like the other streaming services have related to what you've watched, uh, stuff, stuff along that lines. Well, you know, they do have a little bit uh, of that. I've seen it like there's a a trending line and then there is kind of recommended. Um, But I I agree. I I think that the fact that they have kind of the separations of like Marvel, Pixar, uh, Star Wars would have been better served, not necessarily as buttons that would take you to individual pages as rather individual, just kind of columns along the lines that you could search through the star Wars content. And maybe you could still have that button somewhere, or it may be on the side panel where you can access your watch list. Like, like Netflix does where you can kind of refine your search by TV show or by movie. Uh, and then, you know, they could have had that over there because it's a little bit distracting when you have the top bar, which is kind of showing kind of new content like Mandalorian, Dumbo uh, or like Noel. But then you have another line which then divides it out between Pixar, uh, Star Wars, Marvel. Uh, and then you get down to the content of their originals and then their original shows and movies and, and, and such. So. I, I would agree. I think that they kind of need to streamline that a little bit more. Uh, less clicks is always better. I It's one thing. I've been in a bunch of uh, user uh, acceptance testing at my work, 
And uh, one of the things we, we were uh, part of a focus group on, on, on a tool that we use for pricing for insurance policies. And um, they were always trying to refine it to as few clicks as possible to get the desired result that you need. And I think that that's something that could benefit a little bit more, a little bit more streamlining. Um, and, and they're not the only service that I think has this problem. I think the DC streaming service has that a little bit as well, uh, especially navigating show your, like your watch list on, on that service. Um, I, I do like their, their, uh, little side panel that can take you to your settings, to home, to movies, to TV shows. Uh, but one, uh, one thing I think I, I've had an issue with when adding things to my watch list is you could add it to your watch list, go out of, of that program, go back to that program, and uh, you will still have a plus sign looking like you haven't added it to your watch list. Uh, whereas like Netflix, it'll say added to list um, or, you know, I just would kind of uh, – prefer that it would still have a check mark there. So it's not you thinking, Oh God, this isn't on my watch list until you actually view your watch list. Yeah. I think that would definitely help out. Um, another thing that I think is fantastic that they have done, uh, kind of moving past the, or kind of reverting back to the pricing. Uh, I, if you have, uh, if you have Verizon, you get it for the great price of free for a year. Yeah. So I think that it also gives them the opportunity to prove to people that may be uh, skeptical to think that they might not do well, uh, gives them the chance to test it out for a year to yeah. see if they actually want to continue with it. And, you know, and I, I think that they kind of took a page from Apple TV plus on that because, uh, that was something that Apple kind of rolled out for people who had just bought recent, um, Apple products that they could get, uh, Apple TV plus for, for a year for free. Um, and I think that that's kind of a, a good way to go about it. Like you said, although I don't feel like the Disney plus was necessarily going to fail on launch or had the issues that DC universe did at launch. Uh, and at DC universe is still kind of facing a little bit. Um, because you have already a built in base of people who are Disney fanatics. Like my brother and his wife, for example, regardless of if it was going to be a really crappy service, they were getting it. Um, just because they love Disney so much and that they are using this as a means to not have to go out and purchase a whole lot of movies. My flip side on that is, uh, I'm probably still going to purchase the movies I want to purchase because I don't want a streaming service dictating when, uh, I'm going to be able to watch something I want to watch. Uh, especially something that I know I'm going to watch multiple times. Now they've already, I think something has, Leaked and it's not like disastrous leak or anything like that, but they already have set expiration dates for some movies. So like they'll not be on their service. Uh, I think like in 2021 or something like that. And they're not big name movies. They're probably some lesser known older Disney projects that they're expecting viewers to not want to necessarily engage in. And, um, I mean, Netflix does it, um, I think Hulu does it all, all these types of streaming services. Eventually something will drop off, uh, especially with lack of engagement. And, 
Um, so for me personally, as you know, I still prefer to try to buy physical media as much as possible because I just don't want someone dictating when I can and can't watch something. Uh, with, like with that said, uh, I also think that they were going to have a built-in base uh, because we had John Favreau and Dave Filoni working on The Mandalorian together, and um, this is a, a series in the Star Wars universe live action, and people have been wanting a live action Star Wars show forever. And so I think that they knew that it wasn't going to be dead on arrival. I think that they expected to have kind of some first day one issues. And that was one thing that, um, I, I couldn't get behind with a lot of people criticizing it on launch was going, well, it had this bug or it had this bug or it didn't do this. Or I was having issues with that. For one thing, it had 10 million users at launch. Well, I mean, maybe not exactly at launch, but 10 million users have signed up for the service. That's a lot of people. And a lot of people were streaming the Mandalorian. So that's taxing their servers. That's taxing their system. And that's the sign of at least a successful launch, in my opinion. And, uh, as with most streaming services, Netflix had uh, people forget Netflix had issues when it started, uh, it's streaming service. I remember you used to have an actual disc that you needed to put into a player just to be able to stream. So <clears throat> although we're kind of used with, <clears throat> excuse me, with the services such as, uh, Hulu and Netflix as they are today, or even just services like voodoo or movies anywhere. Um, Disney's new. It's it's new, and I think that you're right in the, in the sense that um, you know they wanted to entice people into with the free year just in case they wanted to kind of bow out. Um, DC did something similar that if you pre-ordered their service, you got three extra months free onto your first year. Um, so any way that you can kind of entice uh, people into a service while they might be skeptical and you don't want to necessarily appear as just wanting to take their money, uh, doing something like that is, is a good move about it. Of course, as you know, I didn't take advantage of that, but my brother did. Of course. Oh man. I do look forward to seeing how much content they will be adding in, in the future. Yeah. Um, it's going to be one of those things that they're going to have to constantly keep up with it in order to keep a fan base. Yeah. They can't, they can't just rely on frozen Two to draw in people's um, money. It's not going to be something where they can sit back and uh, kind of put up all the nostalgia films and think that it's going to uh, continue to keep people paying money for for their product well and you and you just hit on something there i was going to say uh they they are definitely right now working on the member berries you know uh as i said i've got stuff on my watch list such as all the disney original movies like xenon uh you know alley cats um you know ducktales well ducktales i mean the x-men cartoon the spider-man cartoon gargoyles uh, these are all things that I've added to my list, um, and I plan to. I just actually watched the first episode of Gargoyles uh, the other day, and you know, it's just it takes me right back. They have the Mighty Ducks cartoon, so I mean, they Darkwing have Darkwing Duck, Darkwing Duck. So like, yeah, it, they're right now they're kind of uh, counting on nostalgia to carry some of this fan base through, 
until we get shows like the MCU shows, uh, till we get Clone Wars season seven. Um, and then eventually we get the Obi-Wan uh, show, which everyone is, you know, dying for to have right now. I, I'm one of them. Uh, you know, it's I am so excited uh, to uh, get that show in the future, but they do have to do, uh, you know, regular content on a regular basis. And I think one service other than Netflix or Hulu that's doing a fairly decent job of that. But they do need to expand a little bit more, although I don't think they will with kind of HBO Max taking over is the DC uh, streaming service. They had original content planned out for a year of like when stuff was releasing. So you had Titans launch it off. By the time Titans ended its first season, you had Young Justice uh, season three. And by the time Young Justice season three was ending, you had Doom Patrol or at least the first block of season three, you had Doom Patrol. By the time Doom Patrol ended, you had the second block of Young Justice, and then you got Swamp Thing at the end of that. Now we're getting, uh, the, we're near the end of the second season of Titans, and by the end of next week, so by the end of Titans season two, we're getting the Harley Quinn animated show. Um, now we did lose, of course, Swamp Thing didn't get renewed, which is still a huge disaster in my heart. Um, but we are the, and then they had the, a star girl series that was originally planned. And then that ended up not going to the DC streaming service, but now it's actually moving to the CW. And so I don't know how I necessarily feel about that because that makes me concerned with kind of future shows they plan. Although there have been rumors that they're doing the green lantern show for HBO max. And I, I assume part of the DC streaming service. So maybe they just felt that star girl was going to fit more in line with, uh, the Arrowverse type of shows versus what they've planned with the DC shows on DC universe. So I, I agree. Uh, Disney has kind of got to have that type of release schedule. Cause I, I know we have nine episodes, I believe of the Mandalorian. So we've had three so far, um, and we, so we have six more to go. That's going to get us, uh, through December, I think into January, Well, we've had three episodes, yeah, eight, three. eight episodes total. Oh, three. I, thought there, I thought there was nine. So I got, got it right here. Okay. So we got three, three released. Uh, next one comes out November 29th. That's going to be this coming up Friday. And then it, all the way through December 27th. Okay. Well, that's not too bad because then we will actually have just one month without n- new original or at least new original show content uh, as far as I know, because then we get uh, Clone Wars in uh, in February. So it, go ahead. It's kind of funny because one of my criticisms of The Mandalorian is that it is being released episodically, but it also does provide them providing an episode a week so it's constant content getting updated so it's kind of me being frustrated that i want more but then at the same time i also want content released over a period of time so (laughs) well you know you and i talked about that off air and um i you seemed you know like completely it was completely alien to you to have episodes released uh weekly and I think that was primarily because you're catching up on Titans now on season one. And that's because you have all of season one to stream and binge. Now, I think it's actually a smart business practice to do episodically or weekly because uh, for like someone like me, 
it's really hard now to binge shows. Like I really want to, I plan to now that I'm going to be on a little bit of a vacation through Thanksgiving, um, that, uh, I can kind of catch up and binge some shows, but if they're not really kind of, and I, and this is my complaint about the Mandalorian a little bit, uh, is that they are short episodes, but if there's something that's not like 30 minutes, almost max, it's hard for me to binge because there's so much content out there and I want to devour as much of it as possible. And it's hard to kind of spread myself around, but if it's released weekly, I can at least count on, okay, I can watch this and I'm done. I don't have 10 more, 20 more, three, four, five, six seasons more to try to get through to have consumed it all. Um, so it's something new DC kind of, uh, started it a little bit. Some Netflix shows were doing weekly content. Uh, some of their comedy shows or topical shows were doing kind of new episodes once a week, but, um, DC kind of really started it. Uh, I think at the same time as Hulu, when they started doing their original content, doing a weekly release. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, I guess I've just kind of become more accustomed to the, the binge watching shows culture. Uh, and I even put myself in holes on shows just so I can f- watch them all at the same time. Yeah. So well, you, you got the ones that release all at the same time, like Man in the High Castle, Peaky Blinders, stuff like that. And then you got shows where I will literally wait for the season to be over and just watch it straight through like the walking dead, which, yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably behind a couple seasons Same now here with how, with how much they release them. <laughs> well, not only that, that show just needs to end. And I, I don't it. say that because like I hate it or anything, but it's just, it's run on too long. And I, I just don't have the patience to, sit there, especially when they take their kind of, you know, mid month or mid season break and then get back to it. And then, Oh, we finally get interesting in it, but it's the end of the season. And then I got to wait a whole nother, you know, bunch of months till it comes back. Uh, but I've been one that's, you know, done that too, where I've kind of bowed out from it until, uh, until it's all done. So then I, I mean, I did that with breaking bad. I'm doing it with uh, better call Saul where I'm just waiting until it's all done because I feel I will feel better at least being able to consume that content more at once. Like Breaking Bad, I finished that in like two weeks. There was one weekend I burnt through a whole season because it was so damn good. And it was just like I couldn't stop watching. Now, had I been watching that when it aired live, I would have been going nuts trying to figure out what was going to happen in the next episode. So I think uh it's both a good and bad thing uh, with binging culture. Uh, I think some shows are built perfectly for it and other shows, maybe not so much. Uh, and I think that's one of the strong points as we get ready to move into our, our review of the first three episodes of the Mandalorian. Um, I think Mandalorian is definitely one that it could be binged all at once had they released all the episodes. But I think the fact that it leaves you wanting more after each episode is going to, it, it sings to kind of the strength of how good the show is, how strong uh, everything is working on for it. So um, I, I cannot complain with, with the uh, weekly releases. The only thing I can actually complain about is episode length. And I mean, it's not even a huge complaint. 
I think it was uh, a, an expectation I had of the show before it released. It wasn't anything that they had addressed beforehand. But the fact that they spent about $15 million per episode, uh, the episode lengths being fairly short on something that is brand new and not knowing if it's going to succeed, uh, was probably the smart choice because Mandalorian could have come out of the gate and been just a complete stinker and everyone would have been canceling their service. And also, had they released all of the episodes at once. And I think that this is a point made for also DC. One thing that they kind of, uh, you know, came, uh, came across cause people do this with Netflix. Uh, if you release all the season at once, well, you binge it in one weekend, you cancel your, your membership. So instead of getting fluctuating numbers, uh, where people sign up all at once, they binge the Mandalorian, they cancel, then they come back when the next big show comes out Now you're kind of forcing them a little bit and not in a bad way, but forcing them to kind of keep engaged, keep that membership going on, pay month to month or pay the annual price uh, so that they're not having this people dip in and dip out. Like I know people do it with Stranger Things. They hate Netflix, but they love Stranger Things. So they'll uh, wait till the next season comes out and then they'll sign up and then they'll back out. At least they have enough respect to uh, to do that instead of pirate it. <laughs> and true, and that is a concern that I think that the Disney streaming service is is worried about. But I haven't followed too much uh, of the articles that have been written about that. Um, considering that I don't pirate, um, I mean, I did a little bit in high school. I don't think that there's too many people who went through high school who didn't pirate uh, every now and then. But uh, LimeWire doesn't count (laughs) (laughs) a little bit. Uh, Well, and I didn't even really do it for for shows. I was doing that for music. So Um, but anyways, you know, I I kind of learned the errors of my ways and and, uh, now I pay for my content. Um, So I, I don't do torrents. I know people do torrents, but. That's that's what got a lot of people in trouble because uh, a, a lot of people got ended up getting viruses and uh, flagged because uh, of pirating Game of Thrones. You know, it was like that's that's the downsides uh, of, of touring. And uh, I, I also feel like if these people are putting all their hard work into into creating a product, the least you can do is kind is give money in return. That's why I never. um champion for a movie to fail, uh, even if it's got people I don't like in it, even if it's doing something that I don't care for, there are people involved in that project who put their hard earned time, sweat, blood and tears into, into work and to champion something flopping at the box office or not making any money is a disservice to those people working on that project. So Um, I don't have really much anything else to say about Disney plus in of itself. Uh, there's a lot of content on there. I don't know how I'm going to get it all watched, but we're going to be reviewing some stuff in the, in the future on the show. Um, when we talked beforehand, I think we're going to review Noel when it gets closer to Christmas. Um, and, uh, you know, newer content that comes out, new originals we'll be discussing here on the show. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and move into our, Uh, review of the first three episodes of the Mandalorian. Um, We are going to be talking spoilers because it's kind of hard not to, especially when you get to episode two and three. 
so if you have not watched this show, go watch it and then come back here to the podcast and listen to our, our thoughts on it. So, um, all right. So episode one, uh, and again, short episode length, 39 minutes, but I, I, I was expecting about maybe a 50 minute to an hour long episode. Um, but I was like, ah, that's about 40 minutes. So, you know, maybe, maybe this, uh, will be good enough that I'll, I'll be satisfied with it. Overall, I was, um, especially getting like to the end, but before we get to the end, we'll talk about the rest of this. Uh, so we're, we're set about, I think it's five years after return of the Jedi. And, um, we are opening on our character, the Mandalorian. We don't know his name. Uh, we have people calling him Mando just to kind of call him by a name, uh, on a planet going after a bounty. And, uh, we get to see some kind of classic, uh, star Wars aliens. Um, we get basically a cantina scene that mirrors, uh, the cantina scene from, uh, a new hope. Uh, we got some kind of roughnecks and, and whatnot. And, um, the Mandalorian kind of really, uh, shows them who's boss, but we get also introduced to this concept of Beskar steel, uh, it's very important. It's very valuable. Uh, and it kind of becomes a, a, um, focal point of the show for the Mandalorian. And, um, we then have him kind of go turn in his bounty on another planet and pick up a, uh, new bounty to basically go find this thing. They don't tell him what it is. Uh, and, um, that it will be worth a lot of, of credits or Beskar steel. Um, and we have the, the Mandalorian kind of go to a, uh, basically a guild of Mandalorians, but they all kind of keep in hiding. And when we find out kind of in episode three, why, why they do that. Um, and we see, him turn in some Beskar steel that gets forged into a new piece of armor for his, uh, I believe it's a shoulder pad. And, um, we have him travel to another planet to go after his, uh, his, uh, target. And we get to also meet another character who is voiced by Nick Nolte. I don't know if you were aware that that was Nick Nolte doing that character's voice. I was. Okay. I knew I recognized it, but, uh, I wasn't a hundred percent sure it was him until I saw the credits roll. And, uh, yeah, he sounds rough as ever though. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, so, you know, this character kind of, uh, explains to him that there's been some, uh, disruption in the Valley and, uh, he will help lead, uh, the Mandalorian to where he needs to go. Um, and, uh, then we kind of get to the, the big fight, uh, of the episode and it's a big shootout, but we get a droid showing up and we learn early on in the episode that the Mandalorian doesn't like droids and we don't know why, but, um, he, uh, does, um, kind of watch as this. Now my brother had this a little bit, uh, confused. He was thinking that this was the same droid from the empire strikes back. It is not. It's actually the same type of model as the droid. It's an IG model, but it's IG 11 and it's voiced by, uh, so we could I can't say his name. Uh, 
the director of uh, of, of Thor Ragnarok, uh, Taika Waititi. Um, he's got to have a crazy name for me not to be able to pronounce it. Um, and he uh, he does the voice for the IG Eleven, um, and we get to see some really cool action scenes there. Uh, the robot also kind of keeps uh, determining that it's a dire situation, so it wants to keep self-destructing. And you have Mando kind of going, "Stop, stop this! No, no, we're good. Just, just hold on." And uh, and then we get kind of to the end of the episode, and uh, the big reveal is that the the package or the bounty that um, the Mandalorian has been sent to retrieve is what appears to be a baby version of Yoda's species. Now, for the sake, and of course, it's been all over the internet now, we're just going to call it Baby Yoda. We don't know Yoda's species name. We're not even, we're not sure if it's, you know, a baby of, like, Yoda's species, or if it's even maybe possibly a clone of Yoda. And I have a little particular theory for that. And that's kind of where the episode ends. Um... So, Pat, what what thoughts do you have on that first episode? So, to lead in, I will say that the action scenes have been absolutely fantastic. I didn't know what type of budget that this was going to be getting, but I think that as far as, like, in compared to, like, the new movies, I'd say it's just, like, a very slight step down for from that like the budget has to be like through the roof for this well like i said 15 Uh, million per episode say again 15 million per episode oh Oh, man yeah (laughs) well it 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 sure it definitely shows that they are putting a lot of effort into it absolutely um i think that the entire Star Wars atmosphere is very well set up. Like you said, the cantina scene was pretty much kind of similar as well. Um, I really like that they got Carl Weathers uh, to play uh, Grief Karga. Yeah. He he has to, has definitely been one of the, uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't say he's like, has been super important up to this point, but it it's definitely setting it up to where he's going to be a very important role in the future episodes. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I, if he gets eaten by a, by a crocodile or gets a hand bitten <laughs> off, I think that it would be a little bit interesting now now you uh now what would have been perfect is uh he would have if he would have walked into the cantina seen carl weathers and got dylan you son of a bitch and then they just you know <laughs> flex their muscles and crab hands uh that would have that would actually I, I probably would have laughed out loud had they done something like that you know um and i agree i i think that um especially when you get into episode three when we when we dive into that a little bit more um, I think that there's an intentioned um, action done in that scene uh, because there seems to be some type of deep relationship between the Mandalorian and, and grief. And uh, we don't know what that relationship is, especially when we get uh, and we get a little bit of it in this episode and we get more of it in episode three. We kind of get a flashback of young, the young Mandalorian and uh, during some type of 
of battle or um, some type of fight that's going on and his parents uh, kind of putting him in in a in like a cellar to protect him and of course they end up uh, I, I believe dying and uh, he's gets found later on and I think that that kind of starts to build up on um, his connection to baby Yoda um, and one thing that I know I didn't pick it up but I was also having a little bit distracted viewing uh, when watching this, but I, I will say that since it is um, short episode lengths, it's easy to go back and rewatch it. Like I'm not going to be investing an hour and a half or an hour or 50 minutes into trying to rewatch it. Um, knowing that I can go 39 minutes. Okay. I can rewatch this episode. Uh, but the scientist that is, uh, with the empire, cause that's who the client is. Well, he's not the client. The client is played by Werner Herzog. Um, and they work for the, they're still part of the empire or at least the remnants of the empire. But th- the scientist needs this baby Yoda for something. And on his uh, shoulder is the symbol of the cloners from Camino uh, from attack of the clones. So that's kind of what this theory is going on is we don't know if this is maybe a clone of Yoda's species, maybe a clone of Yoda or just a natural born uh, of Yoda's species. And one thing that, and it throws the Mandalorian off is they say that it's, it's uh, 50 years old. And so when they, you know, when, when the Mandalorian and IG 11 uncover it, it's still just a baby. And it's of course explained to him that, you know, well, it's 50 years is like maybe not even a year old for this species. Um, but there's speculation that this might be a clone of Yoda. And I was having a conversation with, um, one of my coworkers who's watching this as well. And, uh, she was wondering, well, why would you want to try to clone, uh, a force sensitive? And there've been theories that this is potentially a tie into rise of Skywalker and with how the emperor would, is going to return. And, um, I'm thinking, Because there's a scene from Revenge of the Sith uh, that always kind of bugs me, and it's Yoda's cloak kind of getting left behind after his fight with the Emperor. And uh, so if um, they took, like, his DNA um, to, from, like, you know, whatever was on his cloak to clone a baby version of Yoda uh, to see if it would still have a connection to the Force as a proof of concept for the Emperor to potentially return if something were to happen to the Emperor. Uh, so we don't know at this point um, if this is a clone or if this is a natural born. Um, so that's kind of where the episode ends. I agree with you. The atmosphere is there. Uh, I think the score could be a little bit better. It, it does fit a Western type score, but it, it's um, I feel like we still need a little insertion of kind of John Williams uh, score in there a little bit. And we got some of that in episode three a little bit. So um, we're also seeing that even though uh, the rebellion won at, at the end of Return of the Jedi, the galaxy is still not necessarily better off. And that's also a comment that kind of comes into play in episode three. But uh, I, I don't have much more to say about episode one, although um, the IG droid was going to actually kill the baby and the Mandalorian ends up killing the robot. Um, so uh, that kind of shows that there's 
something about this this baby that is deeply connecting to the Mandalorian. Um, so I think for me on this episode for a, a rating, I'm going four out of five. Uh, I think my main kind of drag from it is uh, a little bit of the score and the episode length. I, I know I've talked about the benefits of that episode length, but I still wanted more. And, I, and that's still a positive, too, because it means I'm engaged. It means I'm liking the content and I want to see where it goes. Um, this was also directed by Dave Filoni. And Dave Filoni is the uh, guy who's done most of the animated shows. He worked on Clone Wars, Rebels, Resistance. And uh, he gets a lot of praise for those animated shows. So now that we're seeing his talents kind of translate to live action and, and, and translating very well, uh, I'm excited to see what type of roles he might take on now outside of anim- animation. But I think John Favreau, I think his love for Star Wars has really come through. Uh, I think that it feels like Star Wars. We're seeing classic species from, you know, the original series uh, where the, the ships look great. Uh, the references are fantastic. There is not much to dislike about the, this first episode. So four out of five for me. What about you? I'm going to land on a four and a half out of five. Yeah. Uh, I think what has really uh, drawn me in on this is the fact that the the movies have not necessarily been the best that they could be. The sequel trilogy, right? Yes, uh, um, and I think a lot of a lot of people are uh, criticizing fans for yeah. not liking them. Uh, just kind of, and and I wouldn't say like not not necessarily liking everything, but and they kind of make it to where you have to like everything about it in order to be a real fan. Right. But I think that this is going back to like the, I'd say this is going back to the core of the star Wars universe. And it's really, really drawing me back in. I would agree. And, uh, I've talked about that, um, on the show in the past, um, before, uh, you've been on more regular, um, there's there is this kind of weird fight between fans and creators right now. And uh, I mean, we've seen it kind of with the Terminator franchise. We've seen it with the Marvel stuff. Uh, we're seeing it with a lot of the Disney stuff, especially Disney Star Wars. And uh, I think Force Awakens was really good. Uh, I, I do think that a lot of it was just playing a lot of homage and. And just not, instead of telling a, a new story that was really going to engage a new audience for a new generation. Um, but then we got the last, excuse me, the last Jedi. And that really was when the divisiveness really kind of took off because you had the director of that movie. And I like Ryan Johnson's movies. As you know, I, Brick is one of my favorite movies of his and Looper's really good. Um, and, and the fact that he wanted to take this in his own direction and then, Kind of, I, I know that Abrams had kind of just wanted to plant the seeds and kind of have them take the next director to take it in whatever direction they wanted to. But I think that um, that what the problem with Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi is that he did what he wanted to do. He didn't necessarily take into consideration what maybe fans wanted to see, and and he's been really divisive in his response to fans. Um, you know, he's not very been really uh, wanting to listen to criticism 
And uh, although there are a lot of parts I like about The Last Jedi, there are issues there as well. And those faults lie on him because he wrote it. Now, do I think that fans need to be vitriolic and, and constantly attacking him? or people that were in the movie. Uh, no, I don't think that that's right. But there is kind of this fine line that creators and fans need to walk together because um, regardless of whether or not Rise of Skywalker is a piece of crap or the best Star Wars movie ever made, there are going to be moments I'm going to really like about it, and it's Star Wars. Like I'm too much of a Star Wars fan to let what I'm disappointed about get in the way. But I do agree that The Mandalorian feels like it's kind of a return back to norm. And considering the recent interview that Kathleen Kennedy gave, um, and, and she's part, I think, part of the problem. She's been kind of trying to force things in a direction that didn't need to go that way. And um, and in fact, making a comment such as, well, it's really hard to make a Star Wars movie because there's no source material. There's no books. There's no um, comic books or video games. And yet um, George Lucas had a script template for a sequel trilogy. She's the one who convinced him to sell it to Disney and that it would be safe under her uh, care and now she also then kind of attacks him for not liking the sequel trilogy and, and making a comment such as, well, there's no, you know, no comic books or, or, or books or anything. When Disney decided to discount the entire old EU, which was full of content that they could have made into movies. Yeah, I think that basically <laughs> covers <laughs> No need to beat the dead horse on that. Right. <laughs> but uh, but um, I, I think another thing that is, I mean, it's obvious, the, the bounty hunters are not a very, uh, they're, they're always in the Star Wars movies, but they never get as much attention as you would hope. And I think that this is finally giving them that the attention that everyone wants. I agree. There was uh there was actually a uh, book trilogy from the old EU, um, and I can't remember the name of the series, but it focused on Boba Fett and it was actually following uh, Boba after Return of the Jedi. So we find out how he survived the Sarlacc pit. And then it also flashed back to kind of during the Empire days of him being a bounty hunter and the bounty hunter guild and all that. Um, so and, and then kind of continuing uh, finishing that little bit of that beating the dead horse. Rumors are that when Kathleen Kennedy's contract is up, that potentially Favreau might take that role. And if he's going to show Star Wars the love that he has shown with The Mandalorian, I think that's going to win a lot of fans back, potentially, uh, especially that. Um, I know that they're going to take a little bit of a hiatus between movies after Rise of Skywalker, uh, that they're going to start kind of working on a Knights of the Old Republic and other different stories, which I think are all going to be fantastic. Uh, I think if you have someone like Favreau in that position who obviously knows Star Wars, I mean, he's referenced the holiday special several times um, and, and has a love for Star Wars and has a very good track record, it, it just even with Marvel and just filmmaking in general, um, that this might be getting things back on a tr right track for people. Um, so hopefully that's this series is kind of the start for 
us building up uh, building up that relationship again. I agree. All right. Well, so we both landed on a four uh, four point five out of five for the first episode. So now we're going to move into the second episode. Hey, um, you're going to bump yourself up a point five no, there. No, I was at four point five before. <laughs> I was. You play it back. <laughs> uh, I'll play it back. I, I said four point five because I said the only thing I needed to take off was a little bit for the, the score yeah. and for uh, the sh- little bit of the shorter episode length. But I said four point five. I promise right. you. I might have at one point said four out of five, but I did start off four point five out of five. Um, right. But anyways, uh, episode two. It's um, still on the same planet. Uh, we kind of see now that Baby Yoda's kind of following, of course, following along in like a little um, hover stroller. Uh, and um, as he returns back to his ship, his ship has been disassembled by Jawas. Um, and this leads to a very fun chase scene uh, with him in the sand crawler and trying to get up onto the top of it and also vaporizing uh, or disintegrating uh, uh, Jawas, which I think was fantastic. And I love his rifle. I mean, his rifle is, is fantastic. It might look a little bit weird with the two prongs at the end, but uh, you know, we get that line in empire strikes back, no disintegrations, but we never really seen disintegrations in star Wars. And, uh, so it was kind of fun to kind of watch this happen, um, in this episode and then have the, try to have him kind of getting up the side of the sand crawler and failing miserably, uh, and baby Yoda kind of following along the entire time in his little hover stroller. Um, so, Nick Nolte's character kind of, or he goes back to Nick Nolte's character uh, and he's, you know, talking about how he's going to kill all the Jawas and goes, no, they didn't steal it, but here, we just need to bargain with them. And so they manage to reach an agreement with the Jawas that he has to retrieve this egg for them. And we don't know why they want this egg. We don't know what importance it has, but, uh, as he uncovers or finds the egg, he's attacked by a mud horn, which is basically a big giant wooly rhino. Uh, and it doesn't quite go well for, for the Mandalorian. Um, I mean, he gets his ass really handed to him. Uh, but when things look really dire, we see baby Yoda lifting its hand out and using the force to kind of hold up the mud horn and allow uh, the Mandalorian to, uh, kill it. And, um, we also get, he gets the egg back to the Jawas and what do the Jawas do? They just eat it. That's was basically all, all they wanted was to eat it. So they, <laughs> they get the parts back for the ship. Um, and this was the only part I kind of had an issue with in this episode was how quickly they put the entire ship back together. Um, it was way, way too quick for me. Uh, I felt like, they didn't have the necessary tools to be able to like, even the Mandalorian says himself, he's like, well, we need a whole, you know, crew and, and ship dock to be able to repair this all. And, um, Nick Nolte's character is just like, nah, I'm good. And they work all night and they get everything back and work in order. And, uh, the Mandalorian's pretty much good to go. And, uh, that's really all that kind of happens in this episode. So I think this was the first episode I was a little disappointed in, not so much in the, uh, content or anything that was done in the episode. 
was just that it was very short. Uh, and maybe because they released episode one on Tuesday and then they released episode two on, uh, on that Friday that maybe that's why they wanted to kind of throw in a shorter episode there. I almost would have just rather they just launched both of them at the same time or combined them as one episode. Um, cause it really feels like it's just a, a brief continuation of where the episode one left off. So, um, again, visual effects look fantastic. Jawas look great. I did see someone complaining about the Jawas eye color, um, that they were red versus kind of the orange we see in like a new hope. And I kind of liken it to, um, one, we're not on Tatooine, or at least I don't think we're on Tatooine. And two, that it's kind of like dogs and wolves where, um, you know, they're, they're basically cousins. So they might be a part of the same species, but there's a little bit of divergence. They wear gray robes instead of kind of the, the orange brown robes. Uh, so I didn't really have an issue with that, but I, I really felt the, the short episode length this time. Uh, so on, uh, on a review scale for me, this one does kind of land on a four, out of five because it was too short, uh, for me. And now then I had to wait a week to get episode three. So what are, what are your thoughts on this episode? I, I really like the, uh, the fight scene between the Mando and the Jawas when, uh, when he's climbing up the, uh, Tesla cyber truck and <laughs> I mean, uh, sand crawler, <laughs> but <laughs> same thing anymore. But, I think that it really showed it was really good visual effects for that part. Um, and same thing with the, the fight with the mud horn, yeah. like it was, I mean, clearly CGI, but like, it's really, really good CGI. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, uh, another thing, uh, I forget that if it's at the end of this episode or the beginning of the next one, but when he when he gets back, he basically says that the the kill of it wasn't honorable, that, that's and that's an why his three. why yeah. his armor was all messed up and getting a new armor. Right. Yeah, that's that's in episode three. So, um, which I, I I think could have it could have been something to where they could have split the episode at that point. Yeah. Uh, like instead of, we'll, we'll talk about it once we start episode three, but I think that it could, they could have lengthened it and ended a little bit, uh, in the area of the beginning of the third episode. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, uh so where do you land on a, on a score for this episode? I'll, I'll land on a four out of five. Yeah. Yeah, see, this yeah, is, it was... that that episode length is like really where I, I had the issues with this one. I mean, it just it it really felt short. And um, but at the same time, I've also heard this kind of said that it's kind of live action version of the cartoon shows, which it fits, especially with Dave Filoni involved. Um, I mean, if you kind of watch an episode of Rebels or, or Clone Wars, like that's about the episode length of, of a show like that. But they the the difference being that there's a lot more that they could do in in an animated realm because it's all either computer generated or hand drawn and uh, they can keep the stories nice and concise. But I think when you're watching a live action, especially a live action action show, you're wanting more there. You want more character development. You want more growth. You want to see more 
vistas and, and, and areas. Uh, you want more character interactions. And there's not a whole lot of character interaction in this episode. I mean, it's primarily just the Jawas, Nick Nolte's character, and Mando, and that's just about it. Um, one thing we haven't quite talked about yet, though, uh, is Pe- Pedro Pascal's performance as uh, the Mandalorian. And honestly, even though he has very few lines, like they, they're very much making him kind of like a Boba Fett character where he doesn't say much. Um, but when he does say things like it's, even though it's coming out of the, the, you know, voice recorder of the, of his helmet, it, it, it's good. Like his dialogue's really good. And, uh, and I think particularly when we get into episode three, even though he's wearing this helmet all the time, he does a really good job of conveying emotions, even though we're not seeing his face. And I'll talk about a particular scene when we get into episode three, but yeah, I think that's see. And that's the hard thing about this. When you do a short episode length is there's not much you can discuss about it. Um, other than how cute baby Yoda looks and how good this, the, the few sequences that are there are, um, just not a whole lot happens, but we get more, uh, action and more kind of world building and development in episode three, uh, which we'll just go ahead and move on uh, to now. So we have the Mandalorian returning back to the, the planet that he, uh, you know, got his bounty from. Uh, he gets kind of praised by grief for actually doing what none of the other bounty hunters could have done. Uh, he uh, takes Baby Yoda, which, you know, you kind of get the feeling from the first two episodes he wasn't going to return Yo- Baby Yoda to them right away uh, or at all. And... Um, so it was kind of a little surprise for me that he actually, you know, does hand over Baby Yoda. But before uh, he does that, there is a funny little bit where uh, Baby Yoda gets out of the carriage and gets up and there's one of his uh, shifts or whatever. Uh, and he unscrews like the little ball at the top and is kind of playing with it. And, and Mando's like, no, nah, it's not a toy and uh, puts him back in his little carriage. Um, and uh, so Werner Herzog's character gives him his Beskar steel and it's like a whole case of Beskar steel. And, uh, he takes it back to kind of where the Mandalorians are all, uh, kind of housed. It's revealed that, uh, since they're kind of great purge by the empire, only one of them goes out at a time, uh, so that they're not really, um, hunted down or no one knows how many actual Mandalorians there are. And, uh, like you said, when he's getting ready to get the new armor uh, done, the head Mandalorian um, blacksmith, she's going, well, we'll make that your signet. And then he says, no, it wasn't an honorable kill. My enemy helped me. And she goes, well, why would your enemy help you? Well, he didn't know it was my enemy. And uh, so she ends up forging kind of these whistling birds, um, forges all of his new armor and uh, he goes back out to um, get more bounties. And, and even Grief is like, hey, even I made some, you know, great money off of this and shows some Beskar steel in his jacket pocket. Uh, he gives him another bounty. Uh, he also asked how many um, tracking fobs went out. And he goes, oh, we went and gave them out to everybody. Because even when he walks in in the full Beskar steel suit, uh, everyone is glaring down at him. They are not happy that he won out on this and, uh, and uh, even the Mandalorians weren't too happy. He was working with the empire. There's a brief little fight, 
uh, between him and another Mandalorian before he gets his armor. And there was one thing cool that they, that they did here. And I don't know if you noticed this, but, um, in the star Wars universe, they have these things called vibra blades, but they just look like regular knives. Well, Favreau actually, or whoever decided, uh, in the production to do this, uh, they actually made them look like they're vibrating. Uh, I don't know if you caught on to that. Did you notice that? No, I, I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, when, um, when they have that, the that's knives, that's pretty awesome. Now. Yeah, when they have the knives at each other's like throats, you can see they're kind of like shaking, and uh, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's kind of a nice like nod that they're vibra blades and that they're not just stationary blades. Um, but of course, you know, the head Mandalorian, she gets them to calm down, um, and as. Mando's about to leave. And this is where I'm talking about kind of emotion really conveying, uh, being conveyed, even though we don't see his face. Uh, he goes to reach for that lever and he notices, of course, that the ball is still off or the top of it's still off. And you kind of have him pick it up and it's just a camera shot focus on his face or on the helmet. And you can kind of see the pain or even, um, just kind of the regret that he has because also again, we got another flashback more of what was happening in his past. And I also don't know if you noticed this, uh, but the battle droid, um, in his past that kind of dates it, I guess maybe around the separatist era, uh, possibly right at the rise of the empire, not hundred percent sure, but we had the super battle droid, uh, that almost killed him. And we're still only getting glimpses of that past. Um, so, he goes back uh, and kind of spies on uh, the client and the scientist uh, with with his uh, I think with those like two prongs kind of serve as a purpose of kind of like as a um, a frequency amplifier or an audio amplifier. So he uh, is listening to in on them talk about it. Werner Herzog wants uh, Baby Yoda to be killed. Scientist is like, no, we really need him live to get whatever samples we need to get from him, and. Um, the Mando goes in and he uh, draws guards out and, you know, enters through a hole in the wall, um, goes, rescues Baby Yoda. And even the scientist says, well, what I've done is to actually save his life. Like, I, w- I didn't want it to die. And uh, so Mandalorian kind of, you know, goes through a whole sequence of taking out more stormtroopers. And, you know, someone made this um, this point. And I had to disagree with them because I actually thought it was a cool addition. Why would stormtroopers need flashlights on the end of their blasters? And he was thinking like, well, their helmets should have some type of visual magnification or night vision or something. And uh, I, I just like that idea of it felt more kind of realistic that they would need flashlights or some type of light on the end when they're in complete darkness. I wouldn't necessarily expect a trooper's helmet to have any type of thing that a Mandalorian's helmet would have. Um, but essentially we, we get Mando out of there. He's got baby Yoda with him, and everyone's fobs start lighting up. Uh, even grief knows what this means and it sets up for another perfect, uh, action sequence for the whole shootout with bounty hunters. Um, Mandalorian manages to get on his ship. And this is the part I was talking about. I feel is a little intentional. Um, he has a little bit of an interaction with grief on his ship and he shoots grief. And the fact that the bolt hits the Beskar steel in his pocket, I felt was intentional. That there is some type of connection that they have that um, Mando couldn't just straight up kill grief. 
And that's basically where this episode ends. Um, I, I, I want more. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I think this one, honestly, I didn't have any, any th- complaints about this one. I think that th- they managed to insert a little bit of John Williams, uh, a, a kind of a feel of John Williams score in it. Uh, the action was fantastic. The development was fantastic. So honestly, for me, uh, this one, this one was a five out of five. It was a longer episode. It was more about the length of the of the pilot. Uh, and I can only hope maybe by the finale we might get like an hour long uh, episode. So those are my thoughts on it. What, what are your thoughts? All right. So going back to what I was saying before, I think that if they would have ended episode two with him turning over baby Yoda, collecting his bounty and then like going to get the armor made and then like just kind of showing like a brief glimpse of him in the new armor and then just kind of like ending the episode there. I feel like that could have been something that they uh, could have done. Yeah. Well, and one thing before you go on, I forgot to mention that was also really awesome is, uh, because there was that rule that was kind of no, you know, only one Mandalorian out at a time. Well, when he gets himself kind of caught in that, in that fight, uh, he's kind of cornered. He has no help. All the Mandalorians come out and you see them in, in great glory in jetpacks and everything. And even the one he kind of had a little bit of a tussle with is out there and saying, you know, well, this is the way. And, um, you know, they even say, well, now we've got to relocate. But, you know, uh, they they didn't hold it against Mando for coming out and, and showing that force. So uh, sorry, I meant to mention that before, but I, I, uh, I it kind of slipped my mind. So back to what you were saying. Well, it's funny. The one that he had the dispute with, <laughs> he uh, you're going to hate me for this, but <laughs> he he looked like war machine, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. the original war machine. No, you're, you're not wrong. And in fact, I've also <laughs> kind of heard it uh, said from the same person that I've, I disagreed a little bit uh, ago with, uh, that this was kind of an Avengers moment. Um, all of them coming out. It was very much an Avengers scene. It was kind of an Iron Man episode. You know, he got his armor, even the whistling birds that he used is reminiscent of an Iron Man, uh, scene uh of course john favreau having directed iron man makes a lot of sense but uh yeah it it, it, he definitely did kind of look because he's bulky uh it's definitely heavy armor he's got the big giant kind of gatling gun uh that he uses and so yeah no i don't hate you for that that's a pretty (laughs) pretty close observation it's funny the the line that he says at the end reminded me all the way back to a, a Batman movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> Actually Batman begins cause he shows up in the tumbler and Gordon goes, I got to give me one of those. Yeah. Oh, he wow. says the same thing about the, uh, the suit with well, the, the jetpacks. Jet yeah. And I, and I like that too. Cause like, again, we don't, this isn't Boba Fett. And that was one thing I was a little upset for when like they said, Oh yeah, we have a show called the Mandalorian, but we're not focusing on Boba Fett. So I, I had a little uh, aspersions against that, but uh, they've really kind of lifted him to the level of awesomeness that Boba Fett, even though Boba Fett's like really only in two scenes in the original trilogy um, and you only got to know more about him in the old EU, they've really done a good job of building this new character up to be just as cool as Boba Fett. So uh, I did like that line because like I would love by the end of the show to see him in a jetpack. That would be sick. Um, I did. I really like the shootout scene. Yeah, same here. Um, 
be- between him and the bounty hunters because it, it reminded me of like an old western when you have like like a Clint, Clint Eastwood-esque character going up against like a whole bunch of people and then usually in situations like that they just shoot their way out of it <laughs> kill 20 people call it a day but he really got himself into a tight situation uh, and then like eventually the other uh, Mandalorians come out and they're like, I don't know. It was just really good. Well, and considering that um, kind of a lot of the inspiration for the original Star Wars uh, movie was that uh, was kind of the Western, like uh, a lot of the stuff on Tatooine was kind of uh, influenced by the regulators um, I th- or no, the searchers. Sorry, I had that wrong, um, which is a, a John Wayne one that uh, I actually watched, I think, in college. Because uh, there's a scene that's reminiscent to what happens with uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of got that nice, gritty Western feel. And I think that was Favreau's intent, um, that this was always kind of a a, a lone gunman uh, type thing, a, 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 a gunslinger. Uh, and, I, and I've not seen a whole lot of Westerns, but there's one called the Rifleman, And I think that this is maybe a little bit reminiscent of that. If I'm, if I'm getting that reference correct. Um, so that, yeah, that Western old Western type feel is definitely there and, and it's done very well, very well. Yeah. Um, that basically sums it up for me. Uh, I'm going to land on a, I'll, I'll land on probably a four and a half out of five. So what would Again, you, what, what, uh, what, uh, does, what takes that point off for you? That point five off for you? Uh, it's, it's going to have to be the, it, they're, they're not, they're not being very specific about what is going to happen with the baby Yoda character. It, okay. it kind of like, it fell on like they are more so on like what they did to him. Like, okay. cause they were clearly trying to do something. They'll, they'll probably eventually, um, say what they were trying to get from him yeah, before see, they were going to eventually kill them. For me, that's not so much a, a, of a detractor cause that's what's definitely going to keep me tuning in each week is seeing where this plot goes, where this story goes, uh, learn more about Mando, learn more about baby Yoda, uh, I wouldn't want them to give all of it up front. So, I mean, I can see what you're saying, uh, and I and I can't fault you for it. But I know for me, it doesn't necessarily detract anything from from the show. So, um, yeah. Any final thoughts? I, I just think, like in that scene, like you got the Mandalorian, like they're uh, pretty much threatening you to tell you everything that you know. And they, like he didn't really give it a anything away more than that he was just keeping it alive. <laughs> that's true. That's that's very true. Um, all right, so I think that's going to do it for our first three episodes reviews. Um, we might actually probably fit in a review each week now, as long as we both get manage to get the episode watched uh, till you know the season ends. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to be following this really closely. I know you are. Um, so before we end the, uh, show, um, and talk a little bit about star Wars, uh, Jedi fallen order, because in all honesty, Disney had a really big week, the week that they released, uh, Mandalorian. 
and uh, Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order came out because one big criticism uh, has been that they have not made a really good Star Wars game basically since I think Forced Unleashed 2. Battlefront was good, but you had no story mode. Battlefront 2 had a story mode that was just fairly decent, but very short. And all you had was online. And although the online was fun, um, it, there wasn't enough there to necessarily keep you coming back for uh, engaging content. Like the the story mode wasn't really anything that you needed to go back and play uh, all the time. It was it was fun. It was good. It was nice little filler. Explained some things going into Last Jedi. But uh, this is the kind of the Star Wars game that people wanted from EA. And I think that this helps EA out. This helps Disney out. Um, so this is set about, I think, five years after Revenge of the Sith. Uh, you have Cal Kestis, who is um, a former Jedi who survived Order 66. He works as a um, kind of a salvager or, uh, sh- you know, basically they d- they're disassembling the old uh, Republic ships um, and he, it gets revealed, of course, that he's a Jedi. Um, he's facing kind of the Inquisitors that we're seeing in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, he gets rescued by a former Jedi Master who's kind of cut herself off from the Force, much like Luke did in Last Jedi. And uh, they're going on to try to find this holocron that has actually a list of Force sensitives uh, that are still out there in the galaxy, and they want to try to rescue these people and kind of try to rebuild the Jedi Order. And um, this game is is difficult. I mean, it's... I I heard people kind of say it's kind of got Dark Souls inspiration to it, it, and it really does. The combat is great. But it's also challenging, um, and if you die, if you didn't hit one of the meditation points beforehand, you've got to go back further, and then you can you'll lose your experience and any skill points you had. You can regain them if you kill that enemy that killed you before. Um, but it, it is not uh, easy. But it it is uh, really fun too because it, it it's got one. It's got amazing graphics. Um, I've had some tearing here and there where I can it's. If I'm moving the camera really quick, like I, I can see kind of some things that aren't supposed to be there. Um, but the story seems really good. There's a lot of reason to explore. Um, you're going from planet to planet. So you, you start out on, on Zepho and you're kind of uncovering. You find out about this holocron. Um, and then you go to Kashyyyk and then there's you're going all to all different planets. And there's a they're vast. Uh, there's a lot of exploration, um, and so I'm really excited for this game, and I know a little bit of what comes kind of later on in the game, but I haven't gotten extremely far myself, mainly because I've been too busy exploring around, and uh, I I love that the lightsaber is um, customizable, so you can change kind of the how the hilt looks, uh, the alloy of the hilt, the switch, the head, the uh, you can unlock lightsaber crystals, uh, or the kyber crystals, rather, and at, at some point you are you can actually unlock a double bladed lightsaber. Um, I haven't gotten that far, or I might have missed it at some point. Whatever, however you got to go about to unlocking it, but uh, it's it's really good. And some mechanics that normally annoy me, such as wall running, um, actually work really well in this game. So uh, I I really think that Disney had a, a big week that week. Uh, they launched a game to really good reviews. 
and they launched a streaming service with a show that has been glowing and and loved by fans. So um, I don't know if you have any questions about the game, but that's just kind of initial impressions I've got from it. So. So for for people that were fans of the Force Unleashed games, would you say that this would be something that would be uh, more... Uh, would it be something that you would consider a good game to follow something like those as far as gameplay style? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it, it definitely sets itself, uh, aside from, uh, forced unleashed, uh, where I, I, I do feel like the combat flow for forced unleashed kind of flows a little bit more easily. Um, fallen order requires more precision and more, um, concentration and, Quite frankly, I'm not really good at it. Uh, that's I've died quite a few times. Um, I mean, if I put it on easy, I'd be fine because my brother came in and played a little bit of it last weekend, um, and he had it on easy, and it doesn't really you know hurt you a whole lot to play it on that. But um, I'm not really good at timing my blocks uh, and my parries. But uh, it it's it's still got kind of the great you know when you're de- uh, deflecting blaster bolts. Um, when you actually, I've only had one combat and that's at the very beginning, uh, with someone with another lightsaber. Um, and that seemed really good and kind of comparable to force unleash, but as for force powers right now, kind of Cal's uh, connection to the force is a little disrupted. So you're learning more force abilities as you go through, uh, the game. And so right now, all I can really do is like force slow and force push. I don't know what other type of skills he can unlock. Um, whereas like in forced unleash, you could do like force lightning, uh, you know, the force jump. I'm sure, I'm sure force jump will be one here, uh, as well, considering that there are some areas that you need to be able to really do, um, that to get to them. So, uh, I think so. I think it's a definitely, um, now, one issue that I know a lot of people have had is that you can't, you know, actually like cut a stormtrooper in half or decapitate them or cut off limbs. And it is a little frustrating, but you can do it to like animals um, that attack you. So like they tried to kind of appease both sides a little bit in that in that instance, because it's Disney and Disney was doesn't really want to show that type of violence. But then at the same time, they're like, well, you have this thing that can cut into anything. Um, and then there is a funny little cartoon I saw where, uh, it's like Cal going up to a door and going, Oh, it's locked. And even though he has the force, he has a lightsaber, uh, he can't unlock it. And then like on the next panel, it's like ghost Qui-Gon going like, Oh, what, what the heck? You're a Jedi basically. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of funny. Cause I've come to a lot of places where I'm like, yeah, I get the doors locked. Why don't you just use your lightsaber? But besides that, um, one thing that didn't translate well to, uh, to the game is the Wookiees. Uh, Wookiees have looked better in other star Wars games. They look really stringy in this. um, but uh, it is cool because, uh, and, uh, and this isn't really a spoiler, because I know it was in um, kind of their, like, in a gameplay launch or a gameplay preview, uh, but Saw Guerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker from Rogue One, and he also uh, did the voice for Saw in Rebels. Uh, he's in the game as well at one point, like when you go to Kashyyyk to go looking for uh, someone 
you kind of join up with him as they're attacking uh, an Imperial base. So I, I really like that. And I really like that it's kind of exploring uh, a little bit in between um, Revenge of the Sith and, and A New Hope and see where uh, the game goes with that. Because I, I, I like the character. Um, I know that there were some complaints that it was another white male protagonist. And I'm sitting there going, wait, you're complaining that it's white male protagonist, but I, I, I want to complain that he's ginger. Um, <laughs> but you know, besides that, uh, it's got a good supporting cast. Um, they do a really good job. Like when you're traveling from planet to planet and you're in the ship, like when the ship's taking off, like you see kind of you rising up from the ground and going through the atmosphere and going into space and going into hyperspace. So, uh, I don't know. Do you have any other questions, thoughts? Uh, as far as gameplay length, Mm-hmm. Is there how, about how long is it? Uh, I don't know. I think I heard twenty hours. Um, I know I've spent at least five, and I've only been to two planets. So that's that's one thing that like always I always look into prior to buying a game is yeah. seeing how how much content there's going to be for the price of the game. So well, for, for like, twenty, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say for for 20 hours of gameplay like that's that's not bad to to pay a full price for a game no and honestly i was lucky enough to pre-order it uh a while back when it was um they kind of did us a little bit of a discount on it and so i got the digital or not the digital i keep saying that uh i got the deluxe edition uh for the price of the what normally the regular game would be like it was ten dollars off so the standard was forty nine ninety nine, and then the uh, the deluxe was fifty nine ninety nine. So I basically paid for the deluxe, which only really just came with um, some extra um, customizations. Because like that's I think is really cool is you can customize the the paint job of the ship, uh, the paint job of your droid, uh, even the clothes you wear. Like you can have different ponchos or different outfits. So I, I do like that customization a, a little bit. I. I was using this kind of crimson uh, customization for the ship because it's the same as my droid. But then I like unlocked like a, a black uh, paint for it. And I've switched to that right now. And like, there's a lot of reason to explore all of the areas. Cause you can unlock different uh, lightsaber parts, uh, you know, the Kyber crystals, uh, just all these different unlockables that you can do. And I think it, it's definitely a better game to come out for a Star Wars game versus like something like Battlefront 2, where uh, the original Battlefront, like, well, the original Battlefront game itself didn't have much of a story, but it had a little bit of a story. Um, and then Battlefront 2 was so good, the original Battlefront 2, that when they kind of did their relaunch of Battlefront with EA, uh, well, I think EA did the other Battlefronts too, but... Um, but the most recent battlefronts, they were a little let down in that in that area. And even though they tacked on a campaign on the battlefront two, um, it was short and it really didn't do anything for anybody. Like, I mean, it, it, it gave you some good background to stuff that happened in last Jedi, but, um, it wasn't like anything necessary. This feels necessary. This feels like, something like forced unleashed where it's got a good story. It's exploring some stuff that we haven't explored before. And, uh, I just, I'm very happy that it came out good. Cause I know a lot of people were thinking it was going to suck. And, 
I've seen pretty much nothing but glowing reviews. So uh, I can't wait to finish it. And uh, the gameplay, it's it's it, the gameplay kind of is a little bit of a mix of Dark Souls and Uncharted. Uh, so if you're a fan of the Uncharted games, like with how they there's puzzle solving. Um, there's like, you know, client, there's actually a sequence at the very beginning. That's very reminiscent of uncharted two, uh, when you're climbing up the side of the train as it's hanging over a uh, cliff. So that's about all I got to say, unless you have anything else, uh, you want to ask about it. No, I think that'll wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you guys. I think that this was a fairly long episode, uh, this time. So thank you for, uh, sticking around. Um, we'll be doing more regular reviews on the Mandalorian here as uh, the season progresses. Um, and we'll be talking uh, about some more stuff. I think later, uh, in the week, you'll be getting our second episode in our series of the, the Terminator franchise review. Um, and if you're not following us on Twitter, you can follow us at critics NT cynics, uh, or if you want to write into the show, you can either DM me on Twitter or write into the show at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. And if you aren't already, you can follow us on, um, Apple podcast or Podbean. Be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast on either platform and, uh, rate and review us or leave some comments. If you're on Podbean, you can leave us some comments, uh, and, or write a review for the show, uh, on, on iTunes. Uh, it really helps us kind of get out there and, uh, reach a bigger audience. So we'll see you guys next time.